Well, hello there. Good evening and welcome to that Haunt Guy podcast. Your home of hauntings, true crime, maybe the odd cult and well... Anything else on that spooky side of life? My name is Mark and I'll be your disembodied voice of a host this evening. The year is 1926 and a deadly disease is ravaging America. Known to many by the feared name The White Death, tuberculosis caused a great plague across the land with no known cure, claiming not only entire families, but sometimes entire towns. In the early 1900s, Louisville, Kentucky had the highest rate of death from tuberculosis and hospitals were quickly overrun. The people knew that something had to be done for treating this crisis, and in 1924 a structure started to take shape. This building would become what is now known as one of the most haunted buildings in the world. So I invite you please, sit back, relax, and spiral in with me as we explore the hallways and ghosts of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Waverly Hills opened in 1926 and was considered to be one of the most advanced tuberculosis sanatoriums in the country, and even with this, most patients who went through its doors would never return home as they succumbed to this dreadful disease. You see, there was no known medicine at the time, and instead those who suffered this affliction were prescribed rest, fresh air, and nutritious food. These, however, as was well known by the staff of Waverly Hills, were a guise, as the true use for this hospital was essentially to isolate those who had contracted the disease from those who hadn't. With this being said, however, experimental treatments were trialled on many unfortunate patients. Let us discuss some of them, dear listeners. The first of these treatments used on these poor souls was to expose the patient's lungs to ultraviolet light. Now, thankfully this is not quite as horrific as it sounds due to the fact the lungs did stay inside the patient's body. What this treatment actually consisted of was sitting patients in what was known as sunrooms, where artificial lights would then be shone upon them. This was done as the doctors of the time believed that ultraviolet light would kill the tuberculosis bacterium. The continued exposure to these artificial UV lights was known as heliotherapy. However, it would simply cause more complications than it cured, as this light would not kill bacteria already ravaging inside the human body. Fresh air was also thought to be a cure for the disease, and this resulted in patients being left sitting in front of large open windows or in the open porches of the sanatorium. This wasn't always on the warm summer days, however, oh no. This prescribed treatment had to be carried out no matter the season. Old photographs, and if I can find some, I'll put them on Instagram. Follow me there, at that haunt guy, cheeky plug. Old photographs actually show individuals with the infection sitting on lounging chairs, taking in the fresh air, all while being covered in thick, thick blankets of snow. And let me tell you, my dear listeners, these were the more pleasant treatments that Waverly Hills had to offer. The others are... grisly, to say the least. The first of these that we will discuss is what was known as a lobectomy. 
This is where a doctor would surgically remove parts of the patient's lung that had been infected by the tuberculosis bacteria. However, as the disease advanced through the patient's body, they would be subject to more and more lung tissue having to be removed over time. And this meant going under the surgeon's knife numerous times. And after enduring this, it almost always ended in a neuectomy, where a patient's entire lung would be removed. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but you get the idea. It was horrific. Another treatment was known as thoracoplasty, and this is where an individual would go through a procedure where the attending surgeon would remove several ribs from their chest in order to collapse their lung. This, however, would normally take the removal of its seven to eight ribs, and at the time doctors preferred to remove only two or three at a time, and this again meant that patients would have to endure several procedures before the treatment was complete. If these treatments failed, then a doctor would surgically implant balloons into the lung and force air into them so they would expand. The final procedure we will discuss here, my dear listeners, is the age-old hospital horror favourite. And that, of course, is electroconvulsive therapy. They would do this to a patient when the doctors believed that the tuberculosis bacterium had entered the brain. That unfortunate individual would be wheeled into the electroshock treatment room, located on what the staff affectionately called the morgue wing. Behind a screen, they would still be able to hear the last patient going through the convulsions that continue to shake the body even when it was finished. And this would only simply add to the terror of what they were about to endure. They were then strapped to a table to stop them thrashing around and a rubber heel was inserted into their mouth to prevent them chewing off their own tongue. Electric rods with damp cloths were then placed over their heads so they sat on each temple. The machine was then turned on and a button pushed, and that patient would writhe around on the bed as as many as 120 volts surged through their bodies. The reason this was done was because the doctors noted that after the first electroshock therapy, the patients seemed to be in less pain and were, in their words, calmer. However, this was not due to the treatment having an effect on the disease, no, no. Rather that the voltage was so high it was damaging the patient's brain and unfortunately making them less responsive as their condition worsened. So not only were some of these unfortunate souls subject to this torture, they then couldn't communicate symptoms and pain afterwards, and were left as many were, suffering and left to die within the walls of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Luckily for many of the patients there, all these procedures were last resorts for the staff to carry out. With this being said, however, there were patients lucky enough to survive both the disease and the treatments, and they were able to leave as they entered, through the front door of Waverly Hills. Those that weren't so lucky, well, they left by a different means. When a patient died in Waverly Hills, which happened quite often, 
They left through what became known as the body chute. This was an enclosed tunnel for the dead that went on a long descending slope below the sanatorium and the staff there would use a motorised cable system to slowly lower the copious dead bodies onto secret trains that waited to receive them at the bottom. The reason this was constructed and operated so secretly was so that patients didn't see how many corpses were actually leaving the hospital. This way they wouldn't panic and, more importantly, they wouldn't be able to tell their family, friends or the press so they couldn't publish an article that would prevent many seeking treatment at Waverley Hills. Or, of course, to achieve their end goal of isolating the sick. Now, there are many conflicting reports out there of how many people actually died within the walls of the sanatorium. According to one Dr J Frank Stewart, who was a former assistant medical director at the hospital, Approximately 6,000 people in total died over its decades of use. Although this number isn't as great as the many exaggerated reports out there, it is still a monumental number of deaths to occur within the structure. And you know what else that means, my dear listeners? It is also very, very haunted. But we'll get to that shortly. By the late 1930s, thankfully, tuberculosis finally seemed to be in decline around the world, and by 1943 medical advances saw it being largely eradicated. The only exception to this was at the end of World War II, when new cases arose as soldiers returning home were taken into Waverley Hills for treatment. Unfortunately for these brave servicemen, their conditions were so advanced when they arrived, they normally didn't live past a week of getting a bed in the hospital. In 1961, Waverley Hills was closed, as by this time there was no longer a need for a tuberculosis facility. It did, however, reopen its doors again in 1962, now under the name Woodhaven Geriatrics Sanitarium. During these years, the building held a sinister reputation for tales of patient mistreatment, with many of them proving to be true. Electroshock therapy was now used liberally amongst those who were there for treatment. Over the following 20 years, budget cuts to this facility caused conditions to worsen so much that in 1982, the state of Kentucky was forced to step in where they then charged the sanitarium for abuse and closed its doors for good. Now, my dear listeners, Let us consider for a second with all that anguish, pain and death that went on within the walls of the building. It isn't really a surprise that this tragic history left behind many tortured souls. Over the years since the doors were closed as a facility, the building has changed hands many times. From ideas to turn the site into apartments, to demolishing it, and even a plan to open a worship centre featuring the world's largest statue of Jesus. None of this happened, and the ill-fated hospital was left to stand as owners struggled and subsequently passed it on. By 2001, the once stately building was now in a state of disrepair through the process of time and elements, and also the vandals who came to see the now infamous place. The reputation that Waverley Hills now held, not just locally, but internationally, was that of a true haunted house. 
it became a magnet for ghost hunters and teenagers alike to come and try and experience some form of paranormal activity. And as time passed, stories began to circulate of different hauntings that dwelled within. Visitors to the old hospital indeed tell tales of slamming doors, lights flickering in windows with no power, footsteps echoing and even disembodied voices crying can be heard throughout the building. Now of course there is more than just these events. We wouldn't be scared of some flickering lights now, would we listeners? Well, I say this. I woke up the other night and stared in horror at a strange shaped object in my room. As it turns out, it's just something that had fallen over, but for a good five minutes I was convinced something was there to take my soul. Anyway, there have of course, also, been sightings of spectres and spirits throughout the old, decrepit hallways. These sightings of shadows and spirits are always within certain areas of the hospital. The first of these is the infamous Death Tunnel. This of course, as we discussed, was the tunnel where bodies of the dead were taken so as not to alarm other patients to the sheer amount of looming death that surrounded them. When people now paying a visit to the old hospital choose to stand in this area, they say they can hear voices and see dark, shadowy figures moving, always further down the tunnel from where they are standing, but when approached, they disappear into the air from whence they came. There is another part of the hospital where disembodied voices have been heard, and this is an area known as the Draining Room. It is said that the local townspeople of the time were scared that when the bodies were being transported through their community, they might further spread the sickness, and thus, the Draining Room was said to have been created. And trust me listeners, this is an apt name indeed. In this room, bodies were said to be strung up on hooks, where they were then subsequently cut in certain places so as their blood and other bodily fluids would be drained from them. This was not only to prevent the spread of disease, but it also made the bodies much lighter for transport, meaning they could carry away more at any one time, something that was needed due to the sheer amount of deaths within the walls. Although the actual existence of this room is put down to myth, it does not explain why the room is lined with hooks. It also doesn't explain why some reports of individuals exploring this room suddenly have their nostrils filled with a putrid stench, the unmistakable metallic smell of blood. So I will leave that one to you listeners to decide if this room is myth or spectral truth. Beyond shadows and voices, there are of course full-bodied apparitions seen all around the old hospital too. One of these sightings is said to be that of two children on the third floor, wandering around, lost, throughout the old solarium and its surrounding halls. Another is of a young boy who carries with him a leather ball, affectionately named Timmy. It is said this ball will mysteriously roll out of the darkness from a long hallway, seemingly from nowhere. Some have even claimed if you choose to roll this ball back into the darkness you can hear childish laughter and footsteps running away from you. These are of course believed to be children who were once residents of the hospital and who tragically lost their lives within its confines. 
Some who experience them say they believe they are nothing more than a trace left behind of these children. A footprint in time the children left while they were still well enough to play, before being overcome by the White Death. Others, however, believe something much more tragic. When some individuals who have taken steps within the walls of the hospital come across and experience these childlike apparitions, they claim they are suddenly filled with overwhelming sadness. They went on to say that the apparitions of children may seem playful, but they are in fact eternally wandering the halls in search of their parents who died long, long ago. And further still, and even more sinisterly, there is a belief held by some in paranormal circles that the apparition of the young child with the ball is demonic in nature. You see, it is believed by these individuals that only a demon can materialise physical objects into our plane of existence, and this is what they believe the leather ball to be. They went on to say that by simply rolling the ball back towards the sounds of laughter into the darkness could be enough to cause a demonic attachment. And if you have listened to my different types of spirit episodes, you know how dangerous this can be, listeners. There is also the haunting of the infamous room 502. According to the tales of the old hospital, it is this room that from the outside lights can be seen flickering and shadows are said to move across the window. It may be down to legend but the stories do say that this part of the hospital was used for the patients who had been driven mad by the disease entering their brain tissue. According to the insidious tale of this room, it is said that a nurse was found dead in room 502 in 1928. The tale goes that she had committed suicide by hanging herself from a lighting fixture. The nurse was 29 at the time of her death, and even more tragically, it says she was pregnant at the time. It is unknown to this day why this nurse took her own life but some speculate that it was due to the child being illegitimate as she was unmarried and this was not totally accepted by society of the time. And others believe that this illegitimate child was actually one of the doctors who worked at the hospital. This tale goes that he rejected her and the child, saying he wanted nothing to do with them, leaving the girl to be distraught and ultimately hang herself. This, however, is not the only tragedy connected with room 502. In 1932, another nurse who was working in this room on her ward rounds is said to have jumped to her death. Again, no one knows why she has done this, and some believe that she was in fact pushed in a wicked act of murder by a patient. A patient who was angry over the torturous treatment the nurses were administering to them at the time. Due to the negative and sad energy associated with this room, it is also believed to be a mix of residual energy, the ghosts of the nurses reliving their work and deaths until the end of time, and also of poltergeist manifestations, with some reporting being touched and even their hair being pulled while inside the terrifying room 502. There is much within the walls of this old, crumbling hospital that's put down to myth and legend. But then, 
How do we explain the experiences of so many who visit the hospital? Could it be that visiting this place is enough to play tricks on the mind? The atmosphere enough to make you believe there are spirits at play? Or is this place of dark history truly haunted? Indeed, how do we explain that there are so many stories and reports that corroborate with others? That is for you, dear listeners, to make up your own minds of what is fact and what is fiction on this old, haunted hospital. I myself one day hope to visit this building and experience it for myself, as I personally believe that Waverly Hills Sanatorium could be the most haunted building in the world. And with that, my dear listeners, we bring to a close this week's episode on the halls and ghosts of what was Waverly Hills Sanatorium. I do hope you've enjoyed your time with me this evening. I of course have been Mark, or That Haunt Guy. You can feel free to follow me here on this podcast for any future episodes, or over on Instagram, at That Haunt Guy, all one word. But apart from that, please, have a wonderful evening filled with supernatural curiosity. Watch out for that entity behind you. And as always, stay spooky. <laughs>